says it's on. Yeah, there we go. Okay. We have to excuse me this morning. My voice is, is starting to fail a little bit, uh, so I'm going to try to make it through. Uh, but I, I do appreciate the chance to be here with you this morning. I don't know, Chris, if you, have you ever preached in flip-flops? Uh, I, I realized when we came back to the U.S., I, I've been wearing flip-flops. That's, that's the usual Asian attire. I've been wearing those for years now, and I, I came back and realized I don't even have a pair of shoes or a pair of socks uh, that I could wear. And I thought, well, maybe I should buy, uh, buy a pair, but then I thought, well, it's just for two months. I, I don't think I really need to do that. Uh, so I'm just going to go with flip-flops today. I feel like, like some kind of youth minister up here trying to do something trendy. Uh, I, Rick wouldn't do that, I know, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, actually, usually in Asia, if I were up on in front of everyone, I'd be barefoot. Uh, so this is kind of a compromise. I, I'm not barefoot, but I am going to leave the flip-flops on. This morning, I want to look at the book of Jonah. Uh, so if you want to turn to Jonah chapter 1, uh, or you can see the words on the screen. Well, let's read together, or I'll read for us uh, the first Uh, opening verses of the book of Jonah. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish, to flee from the Lord. Now, someone recently pointed out something to me, and it's been in my mind for the last few months since I've heard it. Why did God choose Jonah? He could have chosen anybody, and he could have chosen someone who wasn't going to run away. He could have picked someone who was going to listen the first time. Why did God choose Jonah? He should actually be the, the last person you would want to pick is the guy who hates the people of Nineveh. And if you're God, you have everybody that you could, could ask, why do you choose the guy who hates the Ninevites to go preach to Nineveh? I, I think about a, a business or a company uh, when you're, they're hiring a new employee, uh, sometimes you, they hire an employee that's just not a good fit for the company. Uh, you know, they, at the interview, they, they look at the, the resume, uh, the, the education, the experience, the qualifications. They're all there. This looks like the perfect person for the job. Uh, but then a, after some time of working there, both people might realize this is just a bad fit. It's not, not anything wrong with, with the person. It's just not a good fit. Uh, and when that happens to a business, it's usually because at, way back at the interview stage, you, you don't have all the knowledge you'd want to determine uh, if this is a good fit or not. You're going on limited information uh, and trying to make a good decision based on that. And sometimes it doesn't work. But this is not the case with God choosing Jonah. God has unlimited knowledge. He has perfect knowledge of who Jonah is. He knows Jonah's heart. He knows Jonah's 
attitude towards the Assyrians that live in Nineveh. God knows that this is the guy who's probably been praying for, for God to destroy this city. Uh, God knows Jonah. This is not a problem of imperfect knowledge. God knows this and still chooses Jonah. And I, I wonder, why does God choose someone who is so clearly the wrong person for the job? If you could choose anyone, why do you choose the one who's the wrong person for the job? I want to pause on that story for a moment. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, our experience in Southeast Asia. Uh, we went to Southeast Asia with this vision for Bible translation. That in this, this country that we're in, there's over a hundred languages spoken, and most of those don't have any scripture. And we, we see if we could bring people access to scripture and have them engaging and reading scripture, that God's spirit could begin the work of transforming their lives. As a missionary, I think, what more could I give someone than to give them scripture and help them to study and apply it to their lives? What, what, else, what else could I give them beyond having scripture that they can understand and that they're putting into practice? So that was our vision for Southeast Asia, is to translate the Bible for, for a people that don't have Scripture. And so in preparation for that, uh, I studied Hebrew, learned Greek, studied translation, studied linguistics, all with this idea of doing Bible translation, of using the gifts that God has given me. And that, that was our vision, uh, but to work in the country that we're in, we realized you, you can't just go there as a missionary. Uh, you can't uh, tell the government there's no Christians here and we would like to convert the people to, to follow God. Uh, they don't not interested in that. Uh, you have to have some other reason to go to this country. And, and so I realized that I needed to find a real job. Uh, I was going to be teaching English in this country. And, uh, and they do want people to teach English. Uh, and so that was... Uh, our platform for entering the country. Uh, and I, I've sometimes had conflicting feelings about teaching English. Uh, teaching English is a good thing. I think if people understand English, that's going to open up uh, educational opportunities for them, job opportunities for them. But that's not really the reason we're there. We're not missionaries to this country to help people learn English, as good as thing that is. And it sometimes seemed like teaching English was taking away time that I wanted to be spending on the ministry that we had gone there to do. And so it was this struggle uh, for me. Why was I doing this task that I wasn't really wanting to do uh, instead of the job that I had been training to do, that, that I was more gifted to do? Uh, but I started to, to realize the importance of this English teaching. Through teaching English, I had a, a student named, uh, what we'll call her, Emily. Uh, she's the girl in the back with glasses. This is one of my first English classes I taught there. 
and she was in my class, but we also discovered that she lived nearby to us, and she started coming over to our house and, and meeting the family, uh, playing with the kids. Uh, she was bringing some other people over to our house. Uh, and Julie had been teaching a Sunday school for our own children. Uh, you know, there's not, not a lot of places to send them from Sunday school, so we were having Sunday school in our house, uh, preschool Sunday school. Uh, and Julie invited Emily and some of her friends and family, would you like to come to our Sunday school? And you can see, Emily's not a preschooler. She's a college graduate. Uh, but she said yes. Uh, and... Uh, Emily and her sister, uh, some, some teenage cousins, uh, started coming on Sunday mornings, and Julie worked through the, the life of Christ with them and, and showed how, how Jesus has the power over the storms, Jesus has power over sickness, Jesus has power over these demons which we don't think about here, but for, for this context was a really important lesson. Uh, and they, they worked their way all through the, the life of Jesus. Uh, and it started out with just a, a few of them coming, uh, but then it started to grow. Uh, and we ended up with, we'd have 15 or 20 people coming to our preschool Sunday school class, and hardly any of them were actually preschoolers besides our own children. These were teenagers and college students coming to our Sunday school class. We, we decided uh, to try something else with this as well. We, we'd been meeting as a family on Sunday evenings for worship. Uh, once again, not a lot of options for us, uh, and so we were just in our living room meeting, uh, and we, we had, had a Harding team come, and they had taught English using the Bible, and they had met a few more college students, and we, we decided, let's get some of these older uh, people that are coming to our house in the morning and and get some of these contacts that the Harding team has made, and let's start doing a Sunday evening time. We're going to read scripture and just discuss what's this mean and what's it mean for me today. And this is also brought in about 15 or 20 people a week without it's one of the things we we didn't realize that this was going to happen. It just seemed to happen that that we have 20 people showing up in the morning and then another 20 people showing up in the evening. None of these people had ever met another Christian in their life. These are people typically from a Buddhist background that have zero knowledge of anything about Jesus. I can tell you it's been really hard, especially this Sunday evening. There have been times, and I I know this is terrible, where I have wished that there would be no one who showed up on a Sunday night. I've been hoping that no one would come to study the Bible this week, and yet they have always shown up. Every week we've, we've had this, and it's been really difficult. You know, it's difficult to have people in your home, in your living room, every week. You know, it's hard to take care of four children and have a serious discussion about Scripture with people. You know, it's hard to lead singing in a second language, especially when I'm not that great of a singer to begin with, 
And then none of these people have ever sung these songs before in their lives, and they're not giving me a lot of help on it. It's hard. It's hard when people ask really good questions about Jesus that I don't have really good answers to. And through this, I would wonder, why would God choose me for this job when I felt like I was clearly the wrong person for this job? This was not what I had come there to do. I want to tell, tell you that you and I are constantly presented with opportunities that we don't want. This is not an overseas missionary problem. This is something for each one of us. God is constantly presenting us with opportunities that we don't want to do. I want you to think about this for a moment. Is, is there anything that has come up recently and has made you think that would be a good thing to do, but I don't really want to do that? It would be really good if someone were doing this, but I don't want that person to be me. I'm not good at that. I'm not qualified to do that. It's a good thing, but it's not my thing. If you're having trouble thinking of something, I, I can, I'm going to try to stir your imagination a little bit. At most congregations, and I, I know this is true at West Stark, we've already heard some of this, there are ministries that are looking for people who uh, can help. Uh, it could be setting up with something, cleaning up something, helping with VBS, teaching a kid's class, teaching an adult class, uh, leading some aspect of worship. Uh, there are lots of opportunities here. And there are lots of good excuses for why you shouldn't do those things. Maybe I'm not good with kids. Uh, I'm not really good in front of people. I don't, that's not really my thing. I, I teach school all week, and so Sunday is my time to not teach kids. I'm just not a good teacher. Uh, we have lots of reasons, but I want you to know that God doesn't always give us opportunities that we want. Sometimes there are opportunities that we do not want to do. Or think about outside of church. Uh, any place you go, this is, this is true in Asia, this is true in Fort Smith, you will find people who are struggling with poverty, with homelessness. Uh, you see people on the side of the road asking for money or for, for some food. And you can give that person $20, you can buy them a hamburger. Uh, but in my experience, that is not probably going to change their life. They're going to be hungry again. They're going to need money again. And what they probably need is someone who is going to invest some time in, that, in them, who's going to invest in a relationship with them over months or years. And that is not something that I want to do. And it's probably not something that you want to do. But God doesn't always give us opportunities that we want. Or, or think about this. Uh, Julie and I are big advocates for adoption and foster care. Uh, and, I, and I say that recognizing that there are people here who are way above us on their commitment to this. Uh, we've, we've heard the stories about this. 
But right now, there are 153 million orphans in the world. Right now, there are over 400,000 children in America in the foster care system. In Arkansas, there's about 5,000 children in foster care and about and homes available for about half of those. There's about 700 children in Arkansas who the state of Arkansas has said their parents do not have any rights over them anymore. Uh, they are available for adoption for anyone. Uh, and if they don't have parents with any kind of rights over them, that makes them orphans. I could say the same statistics for Oklahoma, too. And sometimes we have a, a rosy picture of what that would look like. And I, I imagine that the families who have gone through this can, can attest that it is not as easy and idyllic a transition as you might think. That bringing a child who has experienced the trauma of losing their parents into your home is going to be difficult. And caring for these children isn't easy, but it's certainly an opportunity that God has given us. And speaking of children, maybe I can mention something about fathers. In our society, we typically judge men based on their careers. That's why we ask, the first question you ask after what's your name is, what do you do? Uh, Because for most people, your career is what defines you as a person. And being a parent involves lots of tasks that no one wants to do. No one wants to change a diaper. No one wants to get up in the night with a crying kid. No one wants to sacrifice the things that I want to do in order to do the things for someone else. But being a part of your children's lives is an opportunity that God has given you and only you. Uh, You are the only person who God has given the chance to be a father to your children. And for mothers, you are the only person that God has given the opportunity to be a mother for these children. And there may be things that you don't want about this job, but it's an opportunity that God has given you. Or maybe one more. Do you have a Ninevite in your life? You know, in the story of Jonah... It's the Ninevites or the people that he can't stand. And do you have someone like that in your life? That person who's always showing up when you really don't want to talk to them. And they're, you know they're going to talk for half an hour about things you don't care about. These annoying people in your life. Do you have a, a family member who has struggles and problems, maybe addictions, and they know that because of your family relation that they, you're going to feel this compulsion to help them. And so they always are going to be coming to you with their issues. Do you have a coworker or a classmate who's always doing these things that either make you look bad or make them look better than you? Do you have a Ninevite in your life? I want you to think, can, can you consider that person to be an opportunity that God has put in front of you? And what if God has chosen you, just like he chose Jonah to go to the Ninevites, what if God has chosen you to bring the gospel to this this Ninevite in your life? Are you going to accept that call? I want to return to the story of Jonah and 
we're not very far into it. Uh, so, f- so we're going to have to move quickly. But I, I think we're, we're familiar with the basics of the story. Jonah runs away from God, finds himself in a storm sent by God. And to save the ship, the sailors throw Jonah into the, the sea where a fish swallows him up. He spends three days in the fish, and finally, God tells the fish to spit him on dry land. And God tells Jonah a second time, go to Nineveh. And this time, he does it. And God, or Jonah preaches, the people repent. And Jonah's upset about it. But I want you to notice something through this. God accomplishes his plan in the story of Jonah. It doesn't matter what Jonah does to try to sabotage God's plan. God gets what God wants. And Jonah has to be dragged along, kicking and screaming to do this. But God is going to accomplish his plan. And I want you to think about the things that God has put in front of you. God is going to get those things done if they're part of his plan. And it's in your best interest to go along with that. Uh, If you find yourself opposing God, you may find yourself in, in the wildest storm of your life. You may find yourself in the most unpleasant situation. Now, that's what happened to Jonah. God is going to get his will accomplished, and it's best for you to align yourself with what God wants. But think about the the question I asked in the beginning. Why did God choose Jonah? Why did God choose Jonah when God knew that Jonah's going to have to be dragged along, kicking and screaming? And I think it's because God doesn't just care about the salvation of the Ninevites. God cared about Jonah's salvation. God could have chosen someone who listened, but if he had chosen someone else, he would have left Jonah back home wishing that all the Ninevites were dead. And God cared too much about Jonah to leave him in his selfishness. It's not just about the Ninevites. And if you read Jonah, you realize this. The Ninevites have repented by chapter 3. And there's still a whole other chapter in the book. And you start to realize this is not a story about God and the Ninevites. This is about God and Jonah. God and his messenger. God cared too much about Jonah to leave him at home comfortable and selfish and unconcerned about the Ninevites. God is calling each one of us to participate in his kingdom. He's giving us opportunities to serve him. It's not because he needs our help. Uh, He's going to accomplish his plan with or without us. But he's asking us to join him willingly. He cares too much about us to leave us where we're at, unconcerned about the people around us. And I think one of the things is, 
You know, we ask, why did God choose the wrong person? God chooses the wrong person, hoping that their heart changes and that they do become the right person for the job. God chooses the wrong person, hoping that they turn in to the right person. We read the story of Jonah. It's not exactly clear if Jonah ever gets that message or not. But I hope for us today that we can take that message with us. God is giving us opportunities that we may not want to do. And I, I encourage you this morning to, to think about those things and to think about how you can respond to God's call, how you can do the things that he wants you to do, and to think about what are the things that are keeping you from doing that. Is it just because it's not what you want to do? Is it, is it just about my own selfishness that I'm resisting doing something good? Maybe for some of you, uh, the thing that God is asking is, is for you to admit that you need to give your life to him and that you've been resisting his call to follow him uh, and you need to, to stop running away and to turn back to him, uh, to be baptized, and to, to live your life for him. We're going to sing a song in a minute, and wh- whatever it is that uh, you see God putting in front of you, I hope that you will uh, think about uh, what you can do uh, to accept his call and to follow him uh, with the things that he wants you to do. So let's uh, let's sing this song, and if uh, you, everyone will stand, if there's anything that we can help you with, uh, you can please let that be known. <laughs>